0: Welcome to On The Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. let might send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buker. This is On The Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else. Primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. I originally planned to make this episode all about Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat. But then, Game 5 proved to be, A, a bit of a dud in overall play. B, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, pretty much a reflection of what I've already said about these two teams and their respective strengths and weaknesses. And C, uh, we're almost on top of game six. In fact, some of you may not hear this until after game six. So it puts me in a sort of a strange place of talking about the Boston Celtics as I anticipate being the representative of the Eastern Conference in the finals without knowing if they've actually accomplished that in Game 6. In any case, I'm going to try to bridge that gap, straddle that situation, and make this episode work. We'll see at the end if I've actually accomplished that. As I said, the level of play in Game 5 was shall we say, ragged, and shouldn't have come as a surprise. The only reason the outcome was ever in question was because the Heat, as the Heat generally do, scrapped for second-chance points in the first half and disrupted every drive with active hands. They finished with 19 offensive rebounds in the game overall, and a good number of those were in the first half and good enough for a 42-37 halftime lead. But Jeff Van Gundy, and yes, I happen to have the sound up for a hot minute, flat out said coming out of halftime that if the Celtics took care of the ball instead of turning it over ten times and another half dozen times mishandling it, which blew the timing of whatever they were trying to run offensively, Van Gundy said there was no way he could see them losing. This is going into the second half, into the third quarter, with Miami leading by five points. Translation, the Heat are overmatched. And this game and this series are the Celtics if they simply don't F it up. Well, the Celtics did not F up game five. But they also didn't do anything in the 93-80 win that reassured me that they are the best team left in these playoffs. I believe they can be. But I also recognize that the Warriors have a very powerful psychological and emotional force working for them right now. And that's going to be a challenge for Boston to overcome. Again, with the qualifier, if they make it to the finals. Now, what I couldn't help think about, regardless of how this Eastern Conference Finals series ends, what I couldn't help think about as i watched the Heat struggle through this series, particularly in offense, is what Pat Riley must be thinking. What I've seen is a team composed of the kind of players that were once a stable staple of Riley-esque teams. Players who aren't the most skilled or freakishly athletic, but are soldiers in the truest sense. Loyal, disciplined, relentless, tough. The John Starks and Anthony Masons, Alonzo Mornings, and Charles Oakleys. Their successors with this Heat team are Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker, and I would even say Caleb Martin. The problem is, his team also includes a mix of players that don't fit that profile. What I believe is a concession by Riley, I can only assume, to today's finesse-oriented game. Players like Duncan Robinson and Max Struess and Tyler Hero. Now, I've always admired Riley and the way he runs the Heat, his lasting power, the loyalty he shows to players willing to work hard and devote themselves to his conditioning demands. But he has also maintained his prejudice against international players, never having drafted one born and developed overseas. It goes back to the view of international players when Riley was coaching. They were generally considered soft, physically, and easily intimidated mentally by the NBA culture. I believe it's a sorely outdated view. International players, particularly those from the Eastern European countries, have proved themselves to be tougher than a good number of their American counterparts. I believe it's because because Many of them come come from tougher circumstances over there now than what American players are coming out of here. And I don't know if it's because they are necessarily tougher or maybe the American players that are being drafted and making it to the NBA are softer. But it's nonetheless true. And it's a supply of players that the Heat do not avail themselves of for the most part. They had Nemanja Bjelica before he joined the Warriors, but he is more like the classic Euro big. Smart, skilled, but in no way physical. And uh, certainly, obviously, wasn't drafted by Miami. And he barely played for the Heat, making 11 appearances in his one year in Miami. Riley is not drafting an Isaiah Hartenstein or an Evita Zubac. If you're not a foreigner who played high school or collegiate ball in the States, you can cross off Miami as a potential place to start your career. So what you have is a mixed bag extracted from players developed here. And while the highly disciplined system and Eric Spolster's coaching has made the Heat consistent overachievers, they have been largely disappointing in the postseason as far as living up to their regular season record. The run to the finals in the Orlando bubble is the one exception, of course, in the Heat post-LeBron era. But the further we get away from the bubble, the more the uniqueness of the teams that thrived in it becomes clear. Finals teams generally don't fall off as mightily as the Heat and Lakers have since appearing in that finals. Not when their core from those teams remains intact. And for the Lakers, that would be LeBron and Anthony Davis. And for the Heat, it would be Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. So... I just see Riley struggling while clearly desperate to win one more championship. Struggling to be able to coalesce his approach, his long established approach to how to build a team and the principles that it lives off of and the kind of players that he admires, appreciates and pays with an acknowledgement that the game has changed dramatically. It's not as physical. It's more of a finesse game. So how do you find those mentally tough, finesse players? That's what I see Riley struggling with, and that's why I see the Heat being good in some instances and yet falling short in others. Now, if I'm discounting the Heat's presence in the Eastern Conference Finals right now, it's because of how they got there. They faced an Atlanta Hawks team that finished ninth in the regular season and made it into the playoffs by beating two young, wholly inexperienced teams in the Hornets and Cavaliers. Atlanta was a team that for the better part of the season raised the question, what is wrong with them? And one answer. Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. His numbers are impressive and he has a toughness that I certainly appreciate. But there's not getting around the limitations of his size and lack of bulk if that is your go-to guy. If you asked me would I rather have Trey Young or Fred Van Vliet, I'd have to think about it. And I'd lean, at this moment, toward Van Vliet simply because of his stockier, more physical ability. Now, imagine Trey is certainly a little quicker, a little more agile. And I wouldn't want either one of them to be my go-to guy, if given a choice. But given a choice between the two, I'd go, with, I'd go with Fred. Especially if the price point is not a super max, as I fully expect Trey Young is going to get. In any case, the Heat knocking out the Hawks in five games earned them a meeting with the Philadelphia 76ers who then had their two best players massively compromised by injury or simple ineffectiveness in Joel Embiid and James Harden. My daughter, who plays college ball, was sitting next to me watching one of their games against the Heat and said of the Sixers, they don't look like they like playing with each other. Now, she doesn't watch them on a regular basis, but she was right. There was no energy on the bench, no clear camaraderie on the court. Maybe there were times this season where they enjoyed each other, but it didn't look like that in the playoffs. Certainly not on the level that we saw from the Warriors or the Celtics or the Grizzlies, to name three teams with players who do seem to enjoy each other's company and contributions and feed off of that energy. That that energy, I believe, makes them better than the sum of their parts. There was something about hardens demeanor in particular that seemed to be a downer he wasn't noticeably different in demeanor than he was in brooklyn or houston but he was producing a hell of a lot more offensively in those places which makes the lack of contribution defensively a little harder to swallow if you're a teammate there's also having Harden snap at you or give you the stink eye for a mistake, which he did plenty of during the playoffs with the Sixers, that lands a little bit different when he isn't delivering what is expected from him. That's a sure way to turn your team chemistry toxic. When a star player is not playing well, but is looking at everybody else saying, you guys are not doing your job. Now, what makes the Celtics so hard to read, so hard to decide exactly how good they are, is not knowing how much credit they deserve for the teams that they beat. They swept the Brooklyn Nets out of the playoffs. When you consider Brooklyn Nets having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, that looks incredibly impressive. Far more impressive than the Heat-beating the Hawks, for example, or even the Warriors beating the Denver Nuggets. And so I have these questions about just how good are the Celtics. If I look at them and who they've beaten in the playoffs, I want to say they're the best team still standing. But I have these questions for myself that I'm still sorting out how to answer. For instance, am I giving them too much credit for not only sweeping the the Nets, but knocking off the defending champion Bucks? And when I think back on that series, I don't think I am. Denying a player such as Giannis Antetokounmpo, a player not only with his ability but resolve, requires something truly special. Jason Tatum stepped up. Marcus Smart stepped up. Collectively, defensively, the Celtics stepped up. Yes, coach Mike Budenholzer, the Bucks coach, made the curious choice of daring the Celtics, particularly Grant Williams to beat the Bucks from long range with wide open threes and he didn't come off that dare in spite of the evidence as the series unfolded and yes the Bucks were without Chris Middleton, Middleton which I would argue hurt the Bucks almost more defensively actually than offensively seeing as Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen had to play much bigger roles Wes Matthews too asked to defend in situations that you would have had Middleton out there and yes, Giannis's mid-range jumper is not yet a foolproof weapon at his disposal. That was also proved in the series. But all that aside, the Celtics won a Game 7 on the road decisively against the defending champs. So maybe, just maybe, they approached the series with the heat, with the mindset that their toughest task was already behind them. Pretty much everyone outside of Miami and maybe even a few inside it, would agree that beating the Bucks and Giannis is a far bigger feather in the cap, a far greater accomplishment than beating Jimmy Butler in the Heat. So maybe the sometimes uninspired or distracted performance we've seen from the Celtics against the Heat is a function of just not taking them seriously enough at times. It's really the only explanation I have for absolutely crushing them in two and a half games. Games two, four, and the second half of game five. And yet, finding a way to lose games one and three. Now, game one, I completely understand. Big, emotional seven-game series. Miami Heat had been resting for a while. But the game four is the one that I can't quite understand because that was their opportunity to put a stranglehold on the series other than they had just walloped them in Miami and were going home and the opportunity to sit back and say we've done we've done the hardest task already much as they did coming out of if they were thinking that's what they did against Milwaukee It would fit. It would fit the profile and the mindset. Dangerous game to play, but nonetheless, they're not the first team I've seen do it. So, having five games to go off of, it's not a matter of who has and hasn't been available in this series for either the Heat or the Celtics. Both teams have won and lost with and without their key players. The personnel really hasn't mattered. The approach by the Celtics in particular, has been the difference. Now, if there's something that makes me believe the Celtics are capable of knocking off the Warriors, it's that they are the best team left at defending the three-point shot. It was magnificent to see Clay Thompson have the performance he did in Game 5 to close out the Mavericks, but in watching that game and re-watching the shots that he made, he walked into the majority of them easiest type of three to shoot a catch and shoot coming down on the break or off a curl in a half court set there's no need to sidestep no need to put the ball on the floor and I say none of this to discount what Clay did the fact that he's back to score 30 plus points in a closeout game after the two injuries he suffered however he's scoring that 30 plus is a monumental achievement I believe he knows that as well as anyone which is why he was in tears afterward. Now those of you who take delight in pointing out to people like me that questioned if Clay could ever be Clay again how he has performed in these playoffs that you'd like to point that out to me including last night. I would say clearly don't have an appreciation for the odds he overcame to do what he's doing. You just assumed that he would be this Clay again. And you perhaps don't understand that he's not the same clay, which makes what he is doing even more amazing. He got wide-open looks on his first couple of touches and knocked them down, and you could see his confidence grow with each subsequent touch. You didn't necessarily see the Dallas Mavericks do anything more in putting pressure on him. So let's be straight with each other here. Most of the eight threes he took, there wasn't a defender near him. And or rather took, but made. There wasn't a defender near him. And when he was forced to put the ball on the floor, he wasn't attacking the rim, but getting into the paint and dropping it off. That's the current clay. That wasn't the clay of old. But who knows? Maybe the Celtics won't be able to put any more pressure on him because of the Warriors' other weapons than the Mavs did. But their personnel... And their track record in these playoffs would suggest otherwise at the very least their wing players are longer than the Mavs which means they're more capable of getting a hand in Clay's face when he rises up something Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie couldn't when they were forced to rotate out on Clay so we'll see where this goes we'll see where this Miami Heat Boston Celtics series goes and if indeed it is over with Game 6 back in Boston. If it is, then we have a whole bunch of material to cover as far as how this Warriors-Celtics series is going to go. I also want to address the controversy or dispute between J.J. Redick and Bob Cousy about the players back in the day and how they stack up to today's players and where I believe their differences lie and where JJ is right and JJ is wrong we have a number of days before the first game of the NBA finals so we should be able to squeeze that in along with uh, previews of exactly how I see this series going or at least things to look for and to consider before it gets going. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.